It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs! Well, that's it. at the map of the week. Adventures in art! Le Chadron Comatique! Oui, oui! It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. <laughs> Aloha, Froth. It's Brian. I've got a relatively new podcast. Have to look that up. And wanted to pass along some belated birthday messages. I heard... Uh, you talk about your birthday on the podcast, didn't call in, so happy birthday, mate. Some gifts that I would give to you in uh, your RPG of choice for your birthday. Uh, give you a give you a hat of uh, temporal uh, transcendence. Gives you a minus uh, 12 on any age rolls, any age checks. Uh, also would gift to you the staff of ancient authority. And what that does is it will dispel once per day. It'll dispel up to uh, 2d4 plus 1 cobalts, orcs, or uh, teenagers from your front lawn uh, so they can get the hell out of there. (laughs) Again, happy birthday. Cheers. What is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. It has been a minute since we've talked, and um, yeah, so first of all, great message there from Brian. I appreciate the belated birthday wishes, love the ideas, and what's cool is, you know, Brian mentioned their, their new podcast there. They're like, yeah, I got a new podcast, you have to look that up. Anyway, you know, so I was like, oh, how am I going to look this up? Uh, try to check it out, but I guess I'll have to look it up. But the name, the name of the podcast is have to look that up. (laughs) (laughs) Which I like because it's kind of like if you're telling somebody you got a podcast. Yeah, I got a podcast. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. You have to look that up. Okay. I'll I'll look it up. That is the name of it. So I like the name of the podcast. Have to look that up. You can find that just about anywhere, Anchor and everywhere else. So I appreciate that, and thanks for checking out the shows and, and everything else. So, episode 200. We are finally finally here, shockingly here. Hard to believe we're here. But it is, you know, as, as great as it is to kind of be talking about 200 episodes and everything else, uh, the last couple of weeks have not been, not been fun. They have not been good. Um, haven't talked about it at all really on here. Um, uh, but my wife has been, is basically dealing with breast cancer and it's been that way. We found out in like November and basically it's been just kind of dealing with that over the last several months. Uh, due to science that I don't really understand, something about different markers in her blood and everything, she was a candidate to benefit from having chemotherapy done prior to any surgery. So we have been, I say we, she has really been the one kind of suffering through the chemo treatments uh, over the last months. And we have, after today, now we ha- there are four more. Uh, when we complete those, we're going out of town for a couple of weeks, going on vacation. So I've been able to kind of keep everything going around that, but the last couple of weeks I've not been able to do that. So it's not really an apology. I'm not going to apologize to you about it, but I'm not looking for, you know, outpourings of sympathy or anything. Uh, it is just kind of the reality. And I've kind of mentioned to folks back me on Patreon that that's what was kind of delaying over the last couple of weeks, but I've been thinking about it. I've been wanting to do something. I have not been able to, I saved a bunch of stuff, but I'm not able to put together a huge hump day show. I still have some things though to talk with y'all about and kind of celebrate a milestone. Cause you know, it's kind of like when people talk about your birthday is just another day or 
whatever the first day of spring it's it's no difference i guess there is celestially and everything but it's important to i think mark milestones and celebrate them especially when they're kind of unexpected like when someone lives to 120 or when froth manages to do 200 podcasts so uh, i guess some of the things we're going to do i've got some messages that i've gotten over the last few weeks on various topics and i want to go ahead and uh, play those and respond to those because otherwise they get so dated um you know that they don't make sense anymore. And I, I really love when people leave messages and call in on the show. So I don't want to discourage that by, by not playing anything. So, and there's some good stuff here too. So I, I, I want to get to these messages, talk a little bit about that. I've got some stuff that I do have over at the thought Eater blog, similar to hump day, but it's just a few things. Uh, one thing is a, we're talking about a milestone today, the 200th episode who, who, thought it possible uh, when it started the 200th episode of the Thought Eater podcast. So uh, I've got another milestone that happened recently that we'll talk about. Then something that I was kind of thinking about for a five-minute Friday, but I knew it would take longer than five minutes. Uh, and I was going to have it for a final topic of a, of a um, uh, hump day show, but I figure I'd talk about it today. And then reminisce maybe just a little bit about the podcast um, and that kind of thing. So, so anyway, let's see, why don't we, uh, a c- couple of things just came in through like email and this was to do with a uh, five minute Friday I did recently where I was talking about that, that ship that kind of blocked the Suez canal and everything, and just how you can look to the real world for, um, for inspiration for your games. And I got a message from, um, from Yami Jamil. Oh, no, they're saying it's pronounced Jamil. Uh, Jamil sent me a message through my blog. So they say, hi, I love borrowing from history and recent events. They had the same idea to write a module about the ship stuck in the Suez Canal. Yesterday, they started talking to artists to commission some imagery for the model, uh, for the module. And they recently started a blog, Blogging the Gimmick is the name of it. And so I've put up that link, the Blogging the, Glim- blogging the Gimmick blog, bloggingthegimmick.wordpress.com. Hey, great minds think alike, or as Colin from Spike Pit would say, fools never differ. <laughs> so uh, that's a cool idea for a module uh, and getting some artists to do some uh, – I'd love to see what that ends up like. So um, if you're listening, uh, John Mill – uh, let me know when that comes out and, and I'll, you know, try to do something to, to draw some eyes to it. But yeah, that's a great idea for a module. So, so very cool. Thanks for letting me know about that. And then, uh, Jim Kang reached out to me. Jim's called the show, but they said for some reason they couldn't get through on anchor. So they were talking about the, uh, plot hooks from real life. They have a friend that plays D and D that sent them a link. And this is over to futility closet and their podcast, so I've got this link up. It's referred to as Transporting Obelisks. And they say, uh, basically, this is another kind of hook based on real life. Among other things, the French had to saw apart a ship and cover it in mud to take their obelisk gift home. Um, They say it reminds, when I was talking about PCs finding huge treasures they can't actually get out of a dungeon. Yeah, I... I remember talking about that in context of uh, the Judges Guild classic Tegel Manor, where there's this gigantic, you know, who knows how many tons, you know, brass or copper bell, you know, that's worth a small fortune, but, you know, it's an adventure in and of itself to try to get that bell. Uh, get that bell back home. But anyway, they say in their own game, they use the dynamics of big companies and startups as a model for hive mind slimes that try to absorb people and other slimes at first, just telepathically, then physically by offering benefits and the promise of future greatness wrapped in corporate jargon. So I love that. So that, that, that is a, a cool way to use real life stuff. Uh, and you know, some some large companies are not all that different uh, from from hive mind slimes, um, so I think that is apt. So, thanks for that, Jim. I appreciate 
you reaching out with the interesting ideas. Like I, I said, I've got that transporting obelisks podcast from Futility Closet. I've got that link up with the companion post for this as well. So let's hear from uh, Mr. Yoder from Random Encounters in the Library. Hey, Froth. This is Jim. Uh, just get about ready to jump into your hump day blogorama. And um, I just wanted to share with somebody. I'm trying to figure out. I want to do like a because I have to keep busy <laughs> during all this or my brain will short out. So uh, one of the things I'm thinking of is like a Patreon slash zine thing. And um, I'm also going to do some miniature terrain building. So because a lot of stuff that I find floating around in the trash and whatnot. And it's like, hey, I could turn that into something. So... Um, See you on the other side. Take care. I hope you had a happy birthday. Bye. Great to hear from Mr. Yoder there. And yes, it is It is hard to stay creative sometimes. Sometimes it's in fits and starts. And when you're in the position where you're having to kind of force yourself to be creative kind of suck the fun out of it that's what I imagine sometimes you know you think about these great bands and or really successful artists whatever in, in different mediums and whatever you're like how the hell do they ever break up it's like god you're making all this money you're touring the world you're doing all these things you know how does that even happen but then you realize you know strip all that away and you can it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're if your heart's not into it and, and and the fun's not there and everything you know then it's easy to understand it's kind of easy to understand how bands break up you know when you really think about it uh no matter how successful they are you know if you take away just kind of the commercialized aspects of making money or you can see how people burn out and just, you know, have had enough. And, but anyway, you know, you, you gotta, it sounds like you're looking for stuff that appeals you to, to you to do. And that's the important thing. And I love the idea of making stuff, you know, out of found objects and stuff. I had a friend that has since moved. We've kind of drifted apart and lost touch, but they're a good friend of mine and we played in bands and stuff growing up and, um, spent a lot of time together growing up and they were very, very artistic and very, very talented. And they were a dumpster diver. They would, and I, when I say dumpster diver, I don't mean that, you know, like an allegory or something. I've, I've watched them get into dumpsters. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, you might not want to do that. It's kind of behind the bar, you know, but they would get, you know, they were constantly looking for trash and stuff, and they made these bug sculptures out of found objects and trash, and they were amazing. Like, you know, you go from a distance, it looks like just, you know, great, you know, amazing sculpture, and then you go closer, and you're like, okay, that's from a vacuum, that's from a hub hubcap, there's a piece from a bicycle, it's all tied together with you know, what, you know, every little bit of it was, was something that, that they had found in the trash, you know, and, you know, I always felt like they could have made a lot of money on them. Some of them got shown some places and I know they sold a few of them, but, uh, they, they were so good that they really could have done more, more with it. I, I felt like, but, you know, maybe that would have sucked the fun out of it. Who knows? So, so anything like that, I think, would be a really fun creative exercise. Um, so uh, if you if you work on that project, uh, be sure and send me some pics and let me know about it, and uh, I'll I'll spread the good word about what you're doing. So uh, anyway, though, good to hear from you as always. Let's see. Let's hear from Sofino from Alone in the Labyrinth now. I had talked about, um, on probably the last hump day show, it's been a, been a minute, but 
I was talking about this RPG DNA kind of hashtag that was going around where people were talking about the, the games that were formative, formative to them. And I got a couple of calls from Sofino on this. Let's listen. Hey, Froth. Uh, Sofino alone in the labyrinth here. Um, yeah, sorry. Happy birthday. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> Sounds like you had a good one. I'm glad your neighbors came through again. Um, and thanks very much for the kind words. That was a really nice shout out. Uh, but like you, I don't know when I'm going to get back to, going to be able to make time to do some more creative stuff because, yeah, there's a lot of struggle with work and family and everything, you know how it is. Um, but yeah, I really like the show. I really especially liked the, sorry, that's Safinio Jr. in the background there. I really like the Summon Me <laughs> spell RPG DNA. Yeah, uh, probably BX, um, yep, Marvel Superheroes, uh, Advanced Hero Quest, and Warhammer 40k, because you could run that like an RPG, not just a war game, the Rogue Trader book. Hey, Froth, meant to, this is Safinio again, Alone in the Labyrinth. I meant to add an addendum to that message, but somehow I didn't do it. So to expand, I think I said D&D Basic in the last message. Pretty much when I I got into D and D, it was a BX, but then quickly got the basic red box, and I didn't realise until years later they were kind of a bit different, or and the rule cyclopedia was also not quite the same as Beck Me. Didn't realise that till later, but to me it was all the one game. Um, Marvel superheroes, the kind of the stats, uh, phase rip really got me. <laughs> Well, it sort of helped in arguments about which superhero was stronger, but also it didn't because they gave Wolverine like good 10 strength, which is ridiculous because he was depicted as being pretty strong, uh, stronger than good 10 anyway, which is why we restarted him. Um, and oh, I'm going to run out of time again. Okay, Advanced Hero Quest is a board game, but you can make it an RPG if you wanted. Great to hear from you, Safinia, and great to hear from little Safinia. Love hearing that. And yeah, it seems to be like a theme, something going on, something in the air where people are, I don't know, just busy and or just have things going on or it's hard to find time to do some things. Uh, one thing too is I'm switching positions within my same company, but switching positions and it's a position that will ultimately be a lot less less flexible than what I have now, but the trade-off is I'll be happier doing it, and there'll be less stress. Uh, maybe maybe the same, you know, maybe around the same stress, but a different kind of stress. So, kind of a trade-off where I'm willing to take a little bit less freedom to just not be doing the same thing over and over. So that's kind of been another thing just I've been dealing with because I'm kind of doing two jobs right now. The person whose job I will be doing uh, is retiring and they've been doing it for a long time, over 20 years. And they're, you know, she's a legend basically within the company. So they're, clearly the best person to learn from. Uh, but after 20 years, they basically wrote the book on the position in a lot of ways and have their own way of doing it. And so there's a lot of eccentricities and things to learn and ins and outs. So, yeah, you're starting to get where I'm coming from. But but yeah, I've mentioned before, I really wish that I'd had even the Mincer Red Box, like you're talking about, or BX, would have been, maybe, I, I can't say that. You, you, you never know what your life would have been like if you made changes to it like that. I don't think it's like going back in time and killing Hitler or anything, but, but uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that I'm unhappy that I had, that we had first edition AD&D instead, but I will say that, I wish we maybe maybe I should say I wish we had both because if we'd had BX we would have had a actual grasp of the rules of the game, <laughs> whereas if all you give uh, you know some ten to twelve year olds or whatever is is nothing but the first edition AD and D books, 
Uh, all bets are off as to what ends up actually being played, which in a lot of ways is cool, but I still would have liked, you know, it would have been nice to have had a little bit more uh, concept, you know, idea of the rules concepts than we did. So, but anyway, good to hear from you. All right, so um, one of the things that came up um, on the last hump day show was uh, talking a little bit about the Atari 2600. And this came up when we were talking about the Dungeons and Dragons game for the Intellivision system, which was kind of an also, also ran when compared to the Atari. The way I always perceived it was the Atari was, you know, far and away the market leader. Uh, then you had the ColecoVision. Uh, ColecoVision, I didn't see as many of them. I only really got to play it once. Um, but they had the best games. You know, they had the high-quality graphics from the Nintendo. The, the graphics always struck me as the best. And then you had the Intellivision, which was kind of like Betamax, I guess. <laughs> it didn't make it, you know. And television didn't make it. Um, but uh, I, anyway, got uh, some call-ins. Uh, one from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And then Alec from the Once and Future Gamer with some really good stuff on the Atari 2600. So let's listen to both of these and reminisce. You are not wrong. Pitfall probably was the best Atari game now that I think about it. Pitfall was awesome. I, I'd have to look. I think that's just was just Empire Strikes Back, wasn't it? The Star Wars game on Hoth. Maybe it was something with Hoth, but at at attack or something. But I thought it was just Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. You know, and it's a side scroller, so it's a lot like Defender. And my favorite of the three, I think, was Chopper Command. Although the Star Wars one was pretty cool. Hey Froth, this is Alec, the Once and Future Gamer. Uh, I was enjoying your and some callers' reminiscence about the Atari 2600, I think for gamer boys of a certain middle age, uh, first edition AD&D and Atari 2600 games kind of are coming from the same place, and there was a lot of overlap. So I wanted to shout out some games you guys didn't mention. Um, someone called in and said Haunted House and Adventure. Love both those games. Both apply. Um, there's also Venture which was a port of an arcade game where you're a smiley face named Winky and you've got a bow and arrow and you run through the halls of a dungeon, go into a room, room zooms out, you got to grab a treasure and run before a dragon comes in and gets you. There's moving walls. There's all kinds of dungeon tropes. That's a good one. Uh, there's also some dungeon-type environments worth mentioning like the arcade classic Wizard of War, where you're fighting a wizard. You've got a laser rifle, but you're going through dungeons. Every level's a dungeon, shooting monsters. Uh, along the same lines, there's Montezuma's Revenge, um, where you're a, a guy who's gone into an ancient Aztec dungeon and has to jump over rolling skulls and explore and all kinds of stuff like that. There's um, the Sword Quest games. I think only three of the four came out. There's uh, I have Earth and Fire World. Um, I think there was an Air World, um, but either Air World or Water World was never published. Huge dungeons, puzzles to solve, uh, running around. Um, what else? Mountain King. Impossible to describe if you haven't seen it, but it plays Hall of the Mountain King, which is the most D&D piece of music ever, other than uh, the soundtrack to Conan the Barbarian. Uh, more in the next message. Also worth mentioning, uh, the 2600 um, was succeeded in the mid-80s by the Atari 7800. A lot of people saw the 5200, which is just like the Atari computers, but only played games. The 7800 was the first system ever to be backwards compatible. So it played all the 2600 games and had its own games, which were about the level of Nintendo. Um, Dark Chambers was a very D&D game. It was basically the ripoff of the arcade game Gauntlet. Gauntlet is the game uh, from which everyone says, Elf needs food badly, which is still an internet meme decades later. And Crossbow. Crossbow, you had a light gun, which you pretended was a crossbow, and you shot your enemies through that. Um, so yeah, there's a ton of 
of D&DS games. Last note, uh, the Star Wars game that you couldn't remember the name of, that's The Empire Strikes Back. All right. Thanks for the podcast, man. Love you. All right. So that is some great stuff there uh, from Jason and Alec. Whoa. Some memory lane stuff there. Um, So, yeah, Pitfall, great stuff. Chopper Command, Jason bringing up. I remember Chopper Command, but I had to go back and kind of... Great thing about Google. God, can you imagine life without Google? I mean, some people would probably tell you it's better, but being able to go back and look some of this stuff up. Because you remember, but you forget it at the same time. And I, I remember Chopper Command... Once I I looked at some of the images of the of the gameplay, and Defender was a great game, great game in the arcade as well. Um, but Alec, I had completely forgotten about Venture. But when I looked back at it, I realized that the uh, you know the pixels were, you know, kind of embedded in my memory banks. Fun game, and there was another game like that actually in the arcade. I think called Berserk that was similar to that. And that's kind of similar to wizard of war too. Um, in some ways I'm going to look up, look at berserk real quick and make sure. Yeah. Berserk was like that. And that was a fun Atari, uh, fun arcade game too. Um, but yeah, really good stuff. It made me think back about arcades and stuff too. Because they're kind of like three, I think they were almost like three, the way I remember it, like three waves of of like the games that I was into at, at, at the arcade, you know. Because the first, the like the first wave was really early where you had, you know, obviously Pac-Man and maybe even Miss Pac-Man in there. But there were some other really good games, like ones that they did have for the Atari 2, uh, Asteroids. That's probably a pretty underrated game. I know it's widely celebrated, but still underrated because no other game played quite like Asteroids, you know, where you start in the middle. And uh, it just had really good programming where stuff actually kind of, you break up an asteroid and it sort of moves like it should and continues over. You know, that, that, that game seems to maybe a little ahead of its time. Asteroids is in there and, and uh, Centipede, I guess, was in that first wave frogger stuff like that and that that was kind of my early trips to the arcade and then i remember like the second wave was probably the best in my mind and this was like a little bit later where you had the games are a little bit more advanced like you had donkey kong jr which was really fun and um uh like um uh uh, punch out, but it wasn't Mike Tyson's punch out, just like punch out. That was awesome. And then you had uh, like Galaga, maybe Galaga would maybe be more like a first wave sort of thing, but Galaga was a great game. And you know, that's the one where you, you shoot the fighter and it becomes, then you become a you know double fighter, you know, double, double fighter. Uh, I was pretty good at that one. And then of course, uh, Star Wars uh, with the, the awesome, uh, you know, uh, not even a joystick. It's like you're controlling the, the starship um, and, you know, having um, TIE fighter, you know, combats and everything. So that, that was really awesome. And then the later wave from there would include things like Dragon's Lair, which was just really a waste of quarters whenever I played it. So I, I never got, uh, never figured out the patterns on that. That was just like throwing money away. <laughs> but uh, then that would include things like Gauntlet. Uh, man, when you got, when you had a full, you know, when you had a full crew on Gauntlet, that could be a lot of fun. You could spend a lot of money on that. And then also 720. I know if there's any former, former war people still trying to skate out there that were, you know, alive back then. 720 was a great game. Uh, I would just go straight to the half pipe on that, you know. And then I, I would have loved to have, like, owned that game or been somewhere where they they just, you know, loaded it up with credits because 
inevitably, you know, the bees were going to get you or whatever, but uh, I could have just played on the half pipe there. So that was kind of like, like the last hurrah of, of the arcade era for me were those games. Those are the main ones I remember. But all this talk about the Atari and stuff got me thinking about all that. But but really great stuff uh, from y'all. I appreciate y'all calling in. Um, it's fun to think back on those days. Uh, I remember uh, me and my brother just taking turns, playing on the Atari 2600, and we, we listened to some eclectic music back then. I really loved ACDC, but we also had uh, the first Fat Boys album, uh, the, the seminal rap group Fat Boys. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was thinking about this because uh, Prince Marky D from the Fat Boys uh, passed away recently. The human beatbox had passed away. You know, several years ago, but whenever you think about like, um, you know, you can't understand what your kids are listening to these days or whatever, you know, you got, if, if I ever get that way and I'm like, ah, what is my daughter listening to? What is this crap? I got to go back and think what my dad must've thought <laughs> looking at his two sons <laughs> laying on the floor, playing video games, listening to the fat boys. So, so anyway, I really appreciate, uh, the call-ins from y'all. And, uh, yeah. All right. So let's get into the, uh, couple things I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, 200 episodes. So I've told this story numerous times. I think I went into a lot of detail when I hit a hundred episodes, but, uh, you know, it's just kind of wild to me. I remember wanting to kind of get back into to blogging. I thought that the, the blogs, uh, you know, this was kind of around, I believe they had already announced that Google plus was going away. And so I wanted to do, you know, blogs led me to Google plus blogs kind of were almost like a support group or not even a support group. But sometimes you can be kind of isolated. And when I got back into RPGs, there weren't a lot of people gaming, you know, a lot of the people that I gamed with is because I was getting them into it and everything else. And the blogs were kind of a way to actually interact with other people that have similar interests. Google Plus was the same way. And so when Google Plus was going away, I wanted to kind of dust off the blogs. I hadn't been using it hardly at all because I've just been on Google Plus. And I think a lot of people were that way. And so I had seen some people mentioning anchor and being an anchorite and everything. I had no idea what it was, but I followed Tim Shorts from uh, Gothridge Manor fairly closely and, um, you know, saw they had the podcast that clicked with me what anchor meant and listened. And I immediately responded to it because a lot of these folks on anchor doing these RPG podcasts, it's like punk rock podcasting. You know, uh, my experience prior to that with RPG podcasts, I would say was extremely negative because it's not so much that they were polished, but they just, it was all, well, I guess it was that they were polished. <laughs> it was exactly that they were polished. It just felt, sometimes would feel disingenuous, or maybe it wasn't so much that they were bad as that I liked what the anchorites were doing more, you know, it was almost like, you know, just blogging, uh, you know, free form talking about what you, you know, you, you're, you're into, uh, throwing out ideas and not so much worrying about a commercial, you know, super commercialized aspect or, you know, doing it on your phone. I remember, you know, hearing Tim say like, you know, it's a lunchtime podcast or just hopping on their phone during lunch to throw something out there. And I really liked that. Part of the reason I liked it is because I knew it was, you know, something I could do. Whereas, uh, some of the other stuff, you know, if they're trying to have a studio or, you know, I didn't understand the, you know, the distribution, you know, a lot of the lim you know, the limit of what I'm going to try is with <laughs> has a lot to do with how easy it is, you know? So with anchor, just kind of, just handling the distribution, everything for you. Um, that was really in, inspiring and, you know, so it was easy and I was inspired to do it. And, um, 
I guess the, the main thing I learned quickly though, was that, you know, you can't try to emulate someone else or you kind of have to find your own, your own thing. You know, people talk about writing what you know. I don't know how true that is. I mean, you can research something if you're really passionate about uh, writing about a specific topic, but yeah, I guess they, you know, and I, I would never tell somebody not to push themselves, you know, so you don't want to necessarily just do what's comfortable, but you just got to find out what works for you. And so it took me a minute to do that. But once I kind of fell into the, you know, what I, I tend to enjoy doing, showing stuff to people and categorizing things and, you know, just kind of being obsessive compulsive, I suppose, about, about, uh, about hobbies that I get into, um, you know, that's what it was. But from there, I really just have to thank you out there, the listener, because I, um, you know, while I don't have a huge listener base, I know that I've got a lot of folks that have been listening to me basically since the beginning and have stuck with it and are just kind of like, you know, enjoy what I'm bringing. And y'all's support really is what motivates me to keep doing it. Um, so, you know, folks on Patreon, especially, uh, you know, y'all really motivate me and just, you know, knowing that there's people out there that kind of consistently looking forward to it every week, you know, it motivates me to want to, uh, to do it. So, so anyway, um, that all being said, the, the other kind of anniversary or milestone that I was noticing getting posted about First, I saw it, saw it over at Havard's Blackmore blog. Uh, one of the these two blogs basically do more than anything to kind of keep uh, Blackmore and uh, Dave Arneson, um, co-creator of D and uh, you know, kind of keep the fire burning for Blackmore and Arneson. So uh, BlackmoreMistara.blogspot.com is Havard's blog, and then uh, the Bogswood blog. Hidden in Shadows, bogswood.blogspot.com, and that's D.H. Boggs over there. But they both do a lot of, I mean, from Havard's Blackmore blog, they, they continually still make Blackmore material, everything. And then over at uh, D.H. Boggs' blog, um, they often do kind of historical retrospective posts looking back at stuff to do with Blackmore and Dave Arneson and just other things in general. But anyway... So they're both posting about 50 years of Blackmore. Now, you might remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about another post from, um, from, DH, uh, from DH Boggs uh, where they were talking about it had been 50 years since um, Dave Arneson had watched uh, the Channel 5 double feature of the Boris Karloff movie The Black Room with Werewolf of London. And the reason that is important is because it coincides with the timing of when Arneson started to plan his Blackmore game. And so I'll put that post up again to, uh, in case someone missed it. But so you've got, you know, this was a while back. When was this? Uh, this was like back in February where they were talking about, you know, that's when it had been, you know, <laughs> D.H. Boggs goes back and finds the date of when this double feature of Werewolf in London and the Black Room aired in Minnesota. But anyway, so that was 50 years, February's 50 years since that double feature. But now we've hit like the actual 50 years of the first Blackmore game session. And this was April 17th. And so um, as Havard mentions, the session was announced in Dave Arneson's fanzine Corner of the Table. Corner of the Tabletop, Volume 3, Number 4. And the announcement said there will be a medieval Brownstein game, making reference to Dave Wesley's Brownstein-style game, Bronstein-style games that really were the precursor to D&D. At the home of Dave Arneson, from 1,500 hours to 2,400 hours, with refreshments being available on a usual basis. Players may come at any time, and any number are welcome to attend what should prove to be an exciting time. It will feature mythical creatures and a poker game under the Trolls Bridge between sunup and sundown. So, I mean, that's a heck of a, an announcement. And so, um, 
D.H. Boggs goes into much, much more detail about it and talks about some of the, 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 the maps used, uh, the players that were there and everything else. It's a really interesting read. And one thing I really liked is they talk about, the, you know, they refer to it as the Troll Bridge game. And a player, Bob Meyer, who is also featured in the recent Secrets of Blackmore documentary, uh, Bob apparently has the, the dubious distinction of being the first person to die in a D&D game. Um, they, they, and the quote is, uh, I was in the game that had that troll, and I did not care for the rules. The troll killed me in no time at all. I refused to have anything to do with Blackmore for a very long time after that. <laughs> so... I just imagine being young, you know, somebody going over playing the first D&D game. They're like getting excited. And, you know, the, the troll killed me in no time at all. <laughs> I just like the phrasing of that. So they say Bob, you know, is playing a fighter, the hero. So uh, 50 years ago today, you know, on the 17th, as D.H. Boggs writes, 50 years ago today, Bob the hero appears to be the first of a very long line of PCs in our beloved hobby to die fighting monsters. So. So I like that. Bob the Hero, the first character death. The troll killed me in no time at all. <laughs> so, so I just thought that was funny. So anyway, I got those links up if you want to look back at that. So so an interesting milestone and, and some, some cool scholarship to see it, to see it like that. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so the last thing I got for y'all, this is kind of like a final topic sort of idea, so... Let's get that cue. The final topic. All right, so for the final topic, you know, the last couple of 5-Minute Fridays, I was doing little GM tips. And this is another one of those, but I just knew I'd be talking about it for more than five minutes. But I want to talk about one of the most satisfying things you can do if you can pull it off in a game, not only as a GM, but also for the players. And that is the big reveal Pulling off a big reveal. And what do I mean by that? Well, just something that they do not seem co see coming that really makes a dynamic shift or makes for an amazing ending or really just flips the campaign on its head that they do not see coming. And so it is, first of all, it is a challenge to pull it off. Uh, for many reasons, not the least of which is that your players, good players, are trained to be looking out for this stuff like little hawks, you know? I mean, you think about even trying to sneak a trapped square, or, you know, a trapped door past a party, much less pull off a big reveal, you know, can be tricky. And in a lot of games, uh, Call of Cthulhu, for example... They're, what you know, experienced players are trained to look at everything that happens as a possible clue. Everyone they interact with, everything they they see, everything you tell them, you know. So it can be difficult. But let's look first, maybe just to talk about like a couple of different kinds of big reveals. You know, one is, and this can be the toughest to pull off, maybe. Um, some kind of big betrayal where a trusted ally or someone they don't suspect uh, ends up being the, uh, you know, the bad guy or having manipulated them or just not what they expected. You know, it can be very, very tough to pull that one off because uh, it's almost like you have to lull them into sleep. Not a sort of like in a dungeon where if, if everything's trapped, they're going to be looking out for it. But, you know, so and, it, and maybe even when they first get into a dungeon, they're really checking everything. And so if you have a lot of traps right at the beginning of a dungeon, they'll check everything forever. Um, but if you kind of act like nothing's going to be trapped, you know, you check the door. Yeah, there's nothing there. I tap this. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's nothing there. Okay. Um, I, I, I check the fountain for traps. Nah, there's nothing there, you know, get them to where there's nothing there and then they're not checking anymore. And that's when you hit them. <laughs> well, it's sort of like that. And I was thinking about the one time I was able to really pull off a good 
big reveal, a big betrayal was actually running a 4E campaign. And there was a, there's a module called Thunderspire Labyrinth where it takes place kind of underground. I think it was like in like a volcano or something, a dormant volcano. But, um, but anyway, there's this helpful little gnome that like helps them throughout the adventure. And the actual adventure is written where the gnome is just a little helpful gnome. Uh, but I was able to, to pull off having the, you know, the, the little helpful gnome. They just see him from time to time. It's just a little helpful guy. He knows everybody around and everything. And the campaign kept running for so long that by the time I was able to pull it off, they had no, they didn't suspect that gnome at all. But it ended up being a bloodthirsty, cruel, murderous little little guy that, that uh, had been nip- manipulating them the, the entire time. So... So that can be a tough one. The other kinds of big reveals are where just everything in the world or whatever is maybe not what they what it seems, or or everything they've been doing is is has maybe been leading somewhere that they didn't think it was going to happen. And what's interesting is I was thinking about like I had an idea maybe for a sci-fi book or could be a sci-fi movie that ends up actually being really tied to philosophical idea called solipsism that you may or may not have heard of. But the, the, the idea with, with solipsism is, is that the only, you can't for sure know that anything really outside your own mind exists. Um, so, you know, it can lead to ideas that, you know, you're in a simulation or that or that everyone is really just a figment of your imagination, or all these kind of things. And you see that idea played out in all kinds of movies, media, sci-fi, and everything else. Um, you know, Matrix kind of plays with an idea like that, where reality is not real, and you're actually inside this computerized simulation. And there's a bunch of other things. There was one great... I say great. It wasn't really great. It only ran for a season, but I talked about it a while back and I'm blanking the name now, but it was basically this sci-fi show that ran for a season where the whole thing starts off. And for the first few episodes, it's, it's this spaceship that was launched secretly, a manned spaceship, you know, large spaceship. It was man, you know, secretly launched back in the sixties, late sixties by Kennedy and they kept it secret, and so the culture on board the spaceship was still late 60s, and it had not really advanced, and they had basically lost contact with the Earth, and so it's like, kind of like, not, it wasn't maybe, it wasn't necessarily hippie, but it was kind of in that groovy era sort of thing, where they're still listening to late 60s music, and and the the style kind of harken back to classic uh, sci-fi TV shows and everything, and the technology was advanced, but not that advanced. And uh, anyway, it was kind of interesting for a minute, and weird things were happening. But basically, what it ended up being is that the whole thing was an experiment, and the weird things they were seeing is because the experiment was kind of breaking down. So it was modern day. They'd been in there for generations, but they're really just in a warehouse. They had never, they had never left Earth, and so it was really like an experiment on human beings, and you know they, that they were unaware of. And the whole plot becomes that it breaks down. Some of them escape. They're trying to figure out what happened to them, and to them they don't, you know, they don't know what's going on. But that was another thing that made me think of that kind of solipsistic sort of. Uh, twist that you could play like you could have a space game with the players in space weird things are happening and then the big reveal eventually is that they're all just being experimented on right you know something like that so to pull something like that off is a little bit easier than trying to fool them with a with an npc because you know good players don't trust anybody it seems like right especially if they know you know if if especially if they know, you know, my players, I, I should say, aren't going to trust me for that, that much. But some of the other ideas, working with something with a big reveal where, where it's more about the world and everything else, 
you can kind of pull that off if you kind of do the slow cooking, you know, the frog doesn't realize that the, the water is slowly getting hotter. You can almost pull it, you know, you can, you can pull that off if you're, if you're careful and deliberate with it. But, um, I, I guess I would say it's not something that you could say, Hey, you know, my new campaign, I'm going to do the big reveal again. You know, it's something that you can't, Maybe if you're just playing with the same group, maybe it's something you only be able to pull off once ever, you know, in one campaign. But it can be when you see that look on the players' faces and they realize and they're like, ah, oh, and you and you've pulled it off and no one suspected a thing. That can be about as good of a feeling you can have at a gaming table. So, I guess my question is to GMs and players out there, if you're listening, have you played in a game or ran a game that had a big reveal of this sort that I'm talking about? Or have you had an idea for a game with a big reveal? Anything like that with a big twist, a big reveal, a big twist they didn't see coming? Call in the show, anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. I'll play it on the show. We can talk about it. Doesn't matter if you're on your phone or desktop, anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. There's a little message button there and you can call in and leave me a message. Outro. All right. So that is what I've got for y'all today. I am sorry for the disappointment. If some people expected a full blown hump day RPG show, it just was not in the cards. I was unable to do that get that done. Um, I'm, I've got a bunch of stuff saved, so I'm aiming for that next week but i hope you still enjoyed what i was able to bring to you i enjoyed uh recording and talking to y'all and yeah 200 episodes it's fun to look back tried a lot of different things um i have had a lot of good times doing it so I, i'm really thankful for listeners out there checking it out thankful for people on my patreon backing it it's patreon.com forward slash thought eater only a dollar a month at the base level, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. I will have something for five minute Friday and then, um, need to look at putting together some more interviews and stuff like that for the hump day shows. I Rob C doesn't know it yet. I need to reach out to Rob C. We need to get together. It's been too long. Rob C from down in a heap. Need to have Rob on the show and talk about something, ramble about something for a little bit, but I guess what I would say is after 200 episodes that I'm most thankful that there are a few people out there listening. So thank you very much. And here's to 200 more. Logan, let's go. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind.